0: Joining us now from somewhere near Heartland, Minnesota, is our great friend, Mr. Albat. Good morning, Al.
1: Hey, good morning. Good morning, everyone. I hope you're uh, all having a great day. I, I, Meryl Freidendahl passed away. Merrill, oh, uh, I didn't Mer- know that. Yeah. that. I'm
0: sorry to hear that. Yeah,
1: Meryl Merrill was my hero, and yeah. my heart goes out to Karen and the, the rest of the family. And they, um I will miss seeing him, talking to him. Uh, what an inspiration he's been in my life. So uh, thank you for, thank you, Merrill, for everything, man. Uh, I'm working at the Freeborn County Fair. Uh, today is going to be, n- tonight, I should say, Neil McCoy will be here. Uh, tomorrow night is Lee Greenwood.
0: Uh, oh, nice. Thursday
1: is Ted Nugent and friday is 38 special.
0: Oh. So, uh some big ones for our then. our age group. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's a a pretty cheap concert to uh, to get to these and I don't even know what it costs to get in, which is terrible, but I've worked for the fair for so long, I have no idea, but I I think it's uh, pretty reasonable especially if you you like one of those people or groups, so a caller, I'm sorry, a texter mm-hmm. asked when I'd be on the Pelican Breeze again. And, boy, I'm going to look it up here really, really quick. I'm going to be on there on August 21st at 1.30 in the afternoon. And you can um, just check online, Pelican Breeze. I want to thank also Lucy, who has beginning her journalism Career with the Chilcat Valley News in Haines, Alaska who must have been a really, really slow news day because <laughs> she chose to interview somebody from Heartland, Minnesota but oh. she was uh, really nice and just so excited about her new career so I hope uh, I hope everything goes even better than she expects and I did learn that there's three local commercial fishermen in Haines uh, I know one for sure One I know I don't know, and one I might know. I'm sure you all have those in your lives, and yeah, I I might know that guy. I'm just (laughs) not real sure. They caught a halibut that weighed 425 (gasps) pounds here recently, a 91-inch. So its uh, I don't know if a bigger one has been caught in the Haynes area, but That there probably has been. How do
0: you pull something like that? And do you have a winch that, that pulls it in? Because I can't imagine anyone could pull something that big in.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I've been on those boats, but, of course, we never caught anything that was 425 pounds. If you added all the fish together, we probably wouldn't have hit 425 pounds. They sometimes I know do shoot them. They have one of those devices oh. that they press against the head of the fish and, and it shoots. So uh, it doesn't fight I don't anymore. Know how they la- Yeah, I don't know how they landed it. Maybe three. They're three big guys, or the two. <laughs> the guy I know is a big guy. The guy I think I probably know is a big guy, and I'm assuming <laughs> you know big guys hang out together. So uh, maybe they just pulled it on with brute strength, but. <laughs> What a what a fish tail they have. And I'm sure, like every fisherman, the size of that fish will grow over the years. The problem is there will be news reports on this one. I wish I could whoosh. I took the mail down today, and a barn swallow flew past my head with a whoosh. I'd love to be able to whoosh. I think I'm going to see if there's something I could do today that would constitute whooshing. (laughs) Uh, Birdsong has diminished, but I hear indigo bunting, song sparrows, vesper sparrows singing with gustos. Swallows have begun lining utility wires. A great crested flycatcher continues to call, sounding as if it's calling me a creep. (laughs) <laughs> I watched a male goldfinch flying in circles or figure eights high in the air. And after singing while flying, it a course that only it recognizes, it, it moved to an undulating flight that we see goldfinches do usually. And it dropped to a perch. And it was a courtship display that's going on with this guy. I'm seeing uh, on drives, I'm seeing They look like tall dandelions blooming on the roadsides, and the leaves of sow thistles resemble those of thistles. I'm seeing evening primrose and common mullein. They both produce these yellow flowers on tall spikes. And complying with its name, primrose flowers, they open each evening. Uh, Spotted jewelweed is blooming now, and it blooms from July through September. Spotted jewelweed's orange flowers, are funnel-shaped. Its sap has long been used to relieve the itch of poison ivy and stinging nettle. But soap, I think, is probably more effective. It can lessen, however, the discomfort of insect bites or stings. Uh, jewel weed is also known as spotted touch-me-not. I should add that because that's what a lot of people know it as. Its seed pods have an explosive release <laughs> of ripe seeds. So when you touch them, it just shoots them out.
0: Well, I know Look because I I have a whole hillside of jewelweed, Al. And if you when it's ripe and it's ready to go, if you walk through there, you get shot at all at all these little like BBs or something like boom, 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 and, and because they really do shoot at you. So I um pulled them most of them from the hillside because they they reseed so plenty. so. Um, heartily that i didn't want them so thick so i pulled them just before the they went to seed so i won't get shot at all the time
1: uh yeah i used to have a dog puppy that would run through them and you'd hear that little <laughs> <laughs> shooting and, and she probably thought that was the greatest thing ever whatever was going on there yeah, she, the puppies are just you know the whole world is new to them all the time it's just it, nothing gets old i guess except going to the vet maybe um amy said uh asked if i would talk about the decrease in monarch butterflies um amy it's one of those odd things you know they said there was actually more down in mexico than there had been it was so terribly low that uh, any kind of increase in population gives us all hope. This is one of those odd things. I'm hearing from people that are seeing a lot of monarchs, and I'm hearing from people that are seeing no monarchs. I, I don't know what to tell you. I know a lot of the populations are very centralized. So one yard has a lot, the next yard has a None. I don't know why, you know, tradition with the monarchs, uh, flowers, of course, milkweed at this time of year. I guess all I can tell you, Amy, is I, I don't, I, I've i got my fingers crossed. You know, I, I have a lot of milkweed here. I've been checking them. I'm seeing some caterpillars. Some have a really good size. There's a lot of things out there that are after the the caterpillars the larval stage uh, falls praise to parasitic wasps the uh, tachnid flies and things like that so I boy that was a really long answer that gave you no answer at all Amy but we'd love to hear from folks if they're seeing a lot that would be really cool it seems like everything in the butterfly world here in my yard has been late this year Uh, I think because some of the plants were a little late in blooming, and that's probably why. But for every gardener, there are cabbage butterflies galore now, which I know just (laughs) makes everybody so happy that has a garden. Now you're going to have those little green worms everywhere. But uh, if every uh, cabbage butterfly could be magically changed into a monarch, what a monarch-filled world this would be! And I'm going to make that my hope today, while I'm while I'm out there whooshing. Uh, Vicky Laroon said, uh, "Al Tuesdays are our longest coffee hour, just to get your reflection on birds and life." Settled in for today's program. She sent some uh, pictures from her backyard. She said the chickadees fledged and followed the parents around for days. Um, even they even led them to the mealworm feeder and cracked sunflower seed feeder. So yeah, they're good parents. They say yeah, come over here. They watched as the house finches in the wreath next to their back fed their four chicks till the day we witnessed two of them fledge. The wonders never cease, stew, amaze, and thrill us. Sunday we went on a drive just to find some sandhill cranes. My daughter and Tom had seen and heard, only heard them. So I've been determined to see them, too. Can you give me an idea of a place to see them in the southern Minnesota area? Also wondering if the colts can fly by this time of the summer. Uh, yeah, I saw some colts the other day. They're uh, out and about around here. Probably a little bit later in the year here, Vicky. when uh, the young ones will be flying, they'll all be flying, and then they'll start gathering. And that'll probably be a better time of the year, and I'll try to keep you posted on when that might be because it is really fun to see them. I saw one colt when I did a breeding bird survey that was out in the middle of the field uh, walking around, kind of looking like a miniature big bird out there following him around. But uh, thanks, Vicky and Tom, uh, for the lovely photos of hummingbirds and uh, uh, all the house finches and all those chickadees, all those beautiful, so I appreciate you very, very much. Uh, Micah from last weeks at an update on his beetle collecting experience. This his Japanese beetle collecting experiment. He's still getting around 300 a day. Oof. And he said, seems like that's nothing from when I first started. Even when I was getting 500 to 600, it didn't seem like that many in comparison to the first days of collecting. For a while, I would catch the 100th one around noon. Now it's around 40 at noon most show up during lunchtime. It's like a bunch of school buses showing up at the one fast food joint in town. Major rush for about two and a half hours before it slows down. I read they lay one to five eggs a day. guess it's better than thousands at once. Any idea if they generally lay their eggs near their food source? I guess this is kind of what I'm hoping for as I see a difference in that i should see a difference in one or two years if i stay on top of it glad i didn't have to deal with mosquitoes while gathering the beetles the yeah and people that have put in uh, the japanese beetle traps have learned japanese beetles will come from a long distance so that's why uh, you know they say that these don't really work the traps and uh, They really do work, but they just drag in a lot more. And they lay their eggs, as far as I know, in the soil. So they like lawns, and they'll choose an area. And I'm sure it's probably not too far from where they're feeding, because why would you want to fly a long ways away? So they lay their eggs, as Micah said, one to five in the ground, in the soil, and when done, then the females will return to the food source to continue feeding until another mating cycle occurs where the process is repeated all over again. I believe I read somewhere, Micah, that they will lay over 40 eggs throughout their life cycle, which doesn't sound like many compared to so many insects, but as we know with Japanese beetles, 40 eggs is way more than enough. Uh, Glenda Batt, oh, who happens to be a relative, mm-hmm. of Lee, is quite across the bear, uh, sent a photo of a barn swallow nesting on a light fixture. And, oh, that has to be so hot for those little guys. I know they can take the heat, but, man. Uh, Doug Teaser saw a Wilson's fallow rope in Blue Earth County in a black-bellied... Clover on High Island Lake, which would be in Sibley County. Tony Lau saw a Bonaparte's gull in Sibley County. Bob Williams had a common gallinule in Sibley County and also a white-faced Ivis there. And Jeff Stevenson, uh, Jeff is from a a friend from Rochester saw a orchard oriole in Sibley County and which is pretty odd to see that there a uh, listener says Al could you give me a real simple answer (laughs) I'm not real good at those but how can a woodpecker hammer on a tree without doing itself harm You know, I guess the easiest way is woodpeckers are designed to do what they do. It's the simplest thing. I will add that smaller animals can withstand higher accelerations than larger ones. We think about wood ducks jumping out of a, a tall nest box, and they just bounce. You know, humans. We don't bounce very well. (laughs) We we fall and it's it's not good. We bounce a little better when we're real small. You know, when when your grandchild's real little, just learning to walk and gets that big smile and then falls over. First, we kind of concerned that he might be hurt, but then we smile and we laugh when grandma falls over (laughs) you know it's not so funny out there so
0: well is that because the birds have hollower bones or something when they they
1: do have uh, pneumatic bones so there are bones and not all birds uh, some diving birds will have uh, heavier bones but uh, most of the birds have pneumatic bones meaning they're filled with air Hmm. so there's not much there how can I keep ants out of my hummingbird feeders? Asked uh, about 5 people, I think this week, so it's a, a common problem, I guess, going around. You can get a feeder, choose a feeder with an ant moat. Or you can install an ant moat on an existing feeder and you're saying, well, "What in the world's an ant moat?" Well, an ant moat is a Little shallow trough, and it sits above the feeder and it's filled with water to, discour- to discourage ants. Sometimes the water evaporates too quickly, so then put a little uh, coat the ant moat with a thin layer of vegetable oil, like cooking oil. And you can make uh, an ant moat if you're a DIY person. Use a small plastic cup. Like one of those tiny solo cups or maybe an old pill bottle or cut off the top of a pop bottle the top part that's kind of bowl shaped you got the regular bottle comes up and then it starts getting down smaller to the cap cut off that top part so the bowl with a cap still on it and then either poke or drill a hole through the bottoms of the cup or the pill bottle, or the cap of the pop bottle. I know somebody used a little solder or uh, things like that just to burn a little hole. And then cut off the straight part of a coat hanger and push it the hole. And then put hot glue or silicone around the wire hole so there won't be any leaks in your moat. Give it time to dry. And then bend the hooks of that coat hanger on the ends so you got a little hook on each end. So then you can hang it from a hook, and then you can hang the hummingbird feeder below it, and then fill them out with water, and it should deter ants as long as it's kept free of debris that might act as a bridge for the ants. So I know it's a, a, a do-it-yourself project on the radio is probably a difficult <laughs> thing. So you might want to look at a YouTube video to see uh, how that's done. But do they do work. Do they w- do work all the time? I don't think anything works all the time. but uh, they, they certainly do help.
0: I have found that ants will be attracted to peanut butter. Couldn't you just put, like, a whole bunch of peanut butter on the bottom uh, somewhere and they just go down there instead? Because I've been trapping voles, well, actually... Using traps for voles, put peanut butter on there. But you know who gets on there is the ants, and they just love it on there. And I don't know if that would deter the voles from trying to get the peanut butter or not because there's ants on there. Do you think?
1: Yeah, I don't know if it would or not. They, uh, everything loves peanut butter, don't we? It's just, man, it's just no matter what it is, birds, animals, the ants. You could put a bowl probably down of sugar water, too, or something on the ground. I would hope it wouldn't bring in more ants, than it kept busy. That'd be the problem. They're all down there saying, this stuff is really good. I wonder what's in that glass (laughs) thing up there. We should climb up there and see what's in there. And the next thing you got a bazillion ants. And they're all just so happy and enjoying themselves. So, uh, But it probably would work if you put it, you know, maybe a distance away. It might help. And I'm going to underline might and yeah. say it might, woulda, coulda. Because <laughs> uh, you just never know how it works. So how many, you know, it all depends on how many ants you have. E.O. E. Wilson said... Uh, If you added the weight of all the ants in the world, they would far exceed the weight of the humans, which Mm. just seems incredible to me, but he was a smart guy. And in a similar vein, what is taken the sunflower seeds from my feeders at night? I get up in the morning and they're empty. There was some there. Yeah, I take mine in at night because uh, I think I have a neighbor who's found a free supply of bird seeds. So he comes over in the dark, you know, darkens his face, puts on a mask and everything and comes into the dark. No, And maybe you have one of those. If you have flying squirrels around, they're good at doing that. And I have no idea who has flying squirrels. Uh, I just, I'm trying to see one. If I ever see one here, I see them in southeastern a lot. Minnesota, I see them in the Twin Cities. I know Mankato has some. Uh, People send me their trail cam that they've set up at feeders. Raccoons are... My problem. They are specialists at the job. If I leave those sunflower feeders, they come and they empty them. But at least there's no flying raccoons uh, yet.
0: (laughs) Well, I've had deer. I have deer that go to mine have gotten my seeds because they're, they're high enough off the ground that they can get them. But also the squirrels come, the chipmunks come. I mean, there's any number of things that would get them
1: yep and my other one that was going to be a nighttime eater could be deer yeah and especially on like platform feeders they just mm-hmm. that big tongue comes out and it just hoovers in all those sunflower seeds i i would love to see a flying squirrel in my yard i recall sitting on a deck with uh great friends in edina one night because if you have friends in edina they're great friends you know you got to go there it's it, we were entertained by the flying squirrels gliding to the feeders. And it was just, uh, that was our entertainment for that evening. Sat out there, talk smart, and watch flying squirrels. I want to say rest in peace to Tom Tau of Fairmont. I, uh, Tom, I treasure your many kindnesses to me, and I'm looking at a gig right now. That you made it's a black cap chickadee uh that you made for me, and how nice of you to do that and uh i uh I'll miss you Tom so uh how can I tell if I've seen a wolf or a coyote i uh, you know coyotes are so much more common than wolves, so it's likely a coyote. If some of you are listening in the area where there are wolves, you have probably seen them, and you know that wolves are much larger. Uh, one of the things is that their legs are so much longer. And if you see tracks of a wolf, they just dwarf those of a coyote. I know that doesn't help in identifying them. I think one of the easiest ways, I was looking at pictures I've taken of wolves, and coyotes, after I got this email, the wolves are blockheads; they have much broader faces, just much much i had uh i I had a close up kind of of a head of each one of those, and it they're blockheads they're just a really broad face, so they do look, and that would be the easiest way Why lawns? This would be asked by somebody who doesn't sell or service lawnmowers, like some in my family do. Uh, lawns dominate many of our landscapes. You know, suburban, you just go through and it's <clears throat> just like miles of lawns. And a lawn used to be an opening in the woods and that would enable the people in the, ha- the manor or the castle or whatever they were living in to see approaching hostile visitors because he wanted to know if there were hostiles coming (laughs) the neighbors coming over to steal your sunflower seeds from your feeders (laughs) at night you could see them right well the lawn was often maintained by sheep and lawns began with the ruling class so the gentry could afford to devote a vast amount of land for ascetic purposes around the manor or the castle and before the lawnmower, only the rich could afford a living green carpet. <clears throat> so once we had the 40-hour work week, that freed Saturdays for lawn mowing. Clover, dandelion, and plantain were part of a healthy lawn. Golf greens, for no good reason, became the epitome of a perfect lawn, banning any plant but grass a lawn is man's attempt to control nature by any method poisons were set free on the environment in an attempt to make a lawn weed free in the conformist 50s when everyone watched for signs of communism and crabgrass i don't know why we have lawns now uh, i do know that edible landscaping is changing yards mm-hmm. I see that more and more. I saw a lot of it come about during the COVID area where people said, you know, I don't want to mow the lawn anymore. What I'd like to do is eat, eat some vegetables that I know are raised the proper way. And so we're seeing a lot of that. And I think it's a, you know, life is full of change. And I, I'm I'm thinking that's going to be a great change that we just spend time out there uh, talking to, to tomato plants what better life could there be <laughs> if you have time to talk to tomato plants just go out there and and uh frank zappa wrote what a, uh, saying about rutabagas and you talk to any rutabaga and the rutabaga will respond to you and uh, who knows more about rutabagas and plants at frank zappa and the mothers of invention i ask you so i think it's a good idea to be out there Raising something else uh, in, in the yard other than just lawn. We don't want this a single culture of plants.
0: Yeah, it became a status symbol, but now I think it's going the opposite. Now it's becoming a symbol of not caring about the environment. So, uh, you know, it's one of those things where it takes uh, the uh, cultural change over time.
1: I, yeah, I agree, and it, I think it's a wonderful thing. It's just uh, we want healthy food, and this would be food where we know where it comes from. So, Hey, thanks, everybody, for sitting on the front porch with me. Uh, it was a little bit of a sad day with the loss of Tom and Merrill. so um, please send your thoughts the, their family's way. You know, thinking about those that have gone on, my mother... My, uh, my sweet mother, I loved mom, she just had nothing bad to say about pretty much anybody or anything, but she advised me to avoid eating lutefisk. <laughs> and she had reason, as a teenager she worked at White's Grocery Store in Algona, Iowa. And lutefisk was kept in wooden barrels outside the store dogs couldn't resist raising a leg on the barrel as they strolled by. And like every mother, my mom said I should try foods before dismissing them as something I didn't like. You know, you'd hear that, well, you haven't even tried it. So, But she never tried Ludafisk. <laughs> yet she thought it was cod-awful. <laughs> Remember, folks... Heartland as well worth driving past. Thanks for listening to us. Uh, Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. And thank you, Karen, as always, for all that you do. I appreciate your company. Well,
0: thank you, Al. We'll be back again next week.
1: Yeah, and Amy, I hope we hear from a bunch of folks telling us about how many
0: monarchs they're seeing. I do, too. Thanks, Al. Thanks. Bye-bye.